I don't know about you guys, but I'm kind of a mess when it comes to technology, so Anchor has saved my life. This episode of Bad Women and all of the episodes of Bad Women are powered by Anchor.fm. Let me break this down for you. If you've got a mobile device that's an iPhone, an iPad, a tablet, a beeper, a pager, a Tamagotchi, a life alert monitor, whatever it is, you can record straight from there. You upload it, it's easier than ever to edit and produce, and then Anchor goes ahead and distributes this bad boy for you. That's right. It puts it out there on Apple, on Spotify, everywhere podcasts dwell, and the best part is you can even make money. Yes, money. You can make some serious green from recording with Anchor and you don't even need any minimum listenership. So if you've got a dream to be a podcast host and producer, your friends are going to be like, oh God, not another one. But you know what? The world needs to hear what you have to say. So get up, get started on anchor.fm and make those dreams come true, baby. We're waiting. I'll tune in. I promise. Bad Women is a new podcast powered by Cat Call and hosted by yours truly, Brittany Brave. Cat Call is a platform promoting female leadership, progress, and camaraderie through original events and content. Follow along at We Are Cat Call on social media. This episode of Bad Women, we welcome Tam Grin. Tam is art curator extraordinaire, and she's also a regular contributor to Create Magazine and All She Makes. Tam and I actually met in 2019 when we were working together on an immersive theater experience, and we became fast friends. She is hands down one of the most creative, visionary, forward-thinking, hard-working people that I know. And specifically, she's one of my favorite people to make things with, to create with, to join forces with. Um, we bond instantly and we're also both from Miami too so uh, we have that 305 connection as well um I'm always blown away by how much Tam not only knows about art and its various mediums but how infinitely passionate she is about it so being around her it's impossible to not come up with a million new ideas and then have the perfect partner in crime gassing me up to make all of them happen so it's awesome in this conversation in particular we talk about how to make art that ages well that honors the past and present but is also future oriented so I really think you guys will get a kick out of it and leave the conversation inspired as well, too. So without further ado, Tam Grin. The reason why I became a curator, I think, is because I can take from all different areas of life and, like, channel it through art as sort of, like, a language to explain whatever it is I'm thinking and mm-hmm. connect it to what is happening in the world at the time. Mm-hmm. So... Um, That's I how I feel about comedy, by the way. So I've always bonded with you on that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started my career as a curator working at art galleries as an assistant, defense assistant at art galleries. I studied art history. Um, and then I went on to work for a big art collection called the Artist Pension Trust, mm-hmm. which is actually the biggest art in the world. It holds uh, around... 10,000 artworks by 2,500 artists. So for me, it was just an amazing way to meet all of these artists, to be in touch with them, to visit them at the studios, to hear their stories, and to see sort of like connections between them. And then I had the opportunity there to manage their curatorial department. So I had to have curators to the curatorial department and find a way for them to vote uh, and decide which artists they were going to join like invite to join the collection or not Mm -hmm. for me was like huge school in terms of uh what it means to select artists what it means for an artist to have a future to have a career um to select their work what are like the standards that you need for that and have Um, them be like properly supported i know you're really good about that is making sure that artists are like taken care of and supported we'll get into it but yeah sure that's uh I, I, one of the myths I definitely want to break is like the starving artist thing. I think we're in the creative economy. Mm -hmm. uh, This, well, maybe up until like two months ago, I don't know what the future holds, but we were in a booming economy for creatives, artists of all kinds. Like Mm -hmm. they were in demand and in need that ever. So why would, you know, we stay with a myth of like, uh starving artists which it comes from like the romantic era you know hundreds of years ago and that 
it's not relevant anymore. Mm-hmm. I completely agree. Not to not to cut you off, but there was like I heard a quote from Chris Rock a couple years ago, and he was like, I get asked this question all the time about like just because you're a good comedian, does that mean that you're manic depressive and that you're starving and that you're you're hurting? And he's like, Yeah, like a lot of good art and comedy can come from pain, but I think we need to start disassociating this like I suffer for my art, starving artist, all of that. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Sure. One like the, the psychological aspect of like whenever there is pain from that come good art mm-hmm. it, it's not related to like a financial a financial situation for artists you know what no. i mean no it, those two things shouldn't be related whatsoever like they should still be compensated and their art should still have value should it matter where it's coming from even if it's coming from pain or joy or whatever the source is yeah yeah. So, and then I started doing my own curatorial projects independently. I, I would knock on the door of Gal, be like, do you have an open slot in your calendar? I have a show proposal. Um, and that's how I started doing in New York City, with eight month pregnant belly, just like knocking on gallery doors and like offering shows. Um, and a few of them said yes. Uh, some shows were totally crazy. I had a show at a gallery called Radiator, which was, I used to joke when people would ask me like, oh, how did you get pregnant? I would say like, oh, it's, I can sit without, like I would <laughs> joke because I thought, you know, like if the Virgin Mary could get away with it, why can't I get away with it? Like, <laughs> you are a woman, you know? Yeah. Or you would like stand at one of your art shows and you'd be like, I am a work of art. Like this is like, the belly is just a prop. That's it. Yeah. So I was super pregnant and I decided to call this show Conceived Without Sin. And it was all emerging artists. And the show was about like religion in the 21st century mm-hmm. and like just myths and if and why like millennials would or would not believe in these myths versus like other generations. Mm-hmm. So it was really funny. Like you would go in and it was like this uh, gallery in Long Island City where you had to go up like two flights of stairs. So I made it like super dark and I had an artist do like a hologram of a cross so you would like walk to the cross. It was Tupac. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. It was super dark. We had a performance inside the fried elevator that was like a nativity scene. And this is like the summer. It was totally crazy. That's amazing. I wish I wish I could have gone to that. And I live in Astoria too. So I wish I would have been there in a heartbeat. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I did a lot of a lot of crazy projects like that when I lived in New York. Mm-hmm. When I moved to Miami, um, I joined a group of other different interdisciplinaries, and we had a big show, raw pop up, because mm-hmm. you know shows of like ten thousand people in five days, taking over forty thousand feet, uh, usually historical buildings in Miami, which are rare, as you know, because in Miami, everything is like tear down to build new things and every new building and is like commercial. And yeah, mm-hmm. so we would find these historical gems and we would uh, invite artists to create like site specific art installations. Mm-hmm. Um, it was called raw because it was very raw. Like we would mm-hmm. and just hope it doesn't fall in anyone's head. Yeah, um, <laughs> like very grassroots, very like put it together. It was just like the beauty of any kind of art and entertainment too. It's always a little like rushed and gritty and like, yeah. For sure. I mean, I thought that was the beauty of it. It was so human. And we had such performance happening on the same time. And it was also very much party vibe because it's Miami and you just have to own it. Um, which was new for me as I never lived in Miami before. Uh, but it was an amazing, amazing show, and it got really, really popular. Uh, we had lines outside of people trying to get in all the time. It was really amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, the people from New York City found so at Raw Pop Up, and they called us to do their open show um, in New York for fields. So we did it as freelancers, and then ended up staying there. For forever. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how Tam and I met. Yay. <laughs> I met. Um, so you want to tell the story? You should tell it from your perspective. I will. I will. Um, so that was, that was incredible. I'm so impressed by your career. And I love like the knocking down gallery doors, making it happen, getting told no, trying again. I always love like a common theme that's been in all these chats is the building something from nothing. 
like just like having ideas and like being like i'll create it if it's not already out there so i love and admire that so much um yeah we met i think like around this time last year i was uh i was a literally starving act no i'm kidding i'm <laughs> sorry i was uh, acting in and doing comedy in new york back when i had a life in new york city now tbd um and i got through a mutual friend through Josue said that he had worked through Showfields and Showfields needed actors. And I, I was like, what is Showfields? And he was like, well, it's a, it's a store, it's retail, um, but everything about it is immersive and interactive and they really value art. And I said, sure. And he connected me to you. And I think the first thing that we worked on together, I pretended to be a futuristic, like actor or like a futuristic representative of Showfields on the street and handed out free ice cream to people in Soho. And it was like very raw, very human, very, very fun. Um, yeah, and then you and I stayed in touch. And I remember you had said that you were working on an in-house play, The House of Showfields. And you're like, this is gonna be a theater production. It's gonna be through the summer, possibly longer. I want you involved. And then I got involved and then the rest is history. And then yeah, House of Showfields was retail art, theater, interaction everything that that you can name and you know for a comedian for an actress that was like a great job it was a great you know what i mean so like i networked i met so many other actors so many other comedians it was fun work and getting to watch you in your element too was incredible and now we're now we're tied to each other there's like an umbilical cord like you're not my mom but you're like my art mom <laughs> oh, <laughs> so yeah and then now the rest is history now i wish i'm not at showfields anymore but i wish i could work with tam on anything so i told tam if she ever needs an intern or just needs a stock model for an art display i'm available for anything so <laughs> i definitely love your energy from day one i remember like you being very assertive with me as well like oh no you told me this were the dates and these are gonna have to be the dates and this is <laughs> this is what we're doing i was like you know what you're right <laughs> I'm sorry. I guess that's our first conversation ever. Um, and then we, I, I always wanted to like create like a interdisciplinary art um, production, I guess. Because mm -hmm. when people say art, first of all, they imagine fine art, mostly like two paintings, but that's not at all what I do in my career. Mm -hmm. I like, I like or when the physical world was open, I used to like doing like very physical productions in which all of the art were interactive and you can touch it and take it and feel it. And also where you can have art meet another industry. <laughs> the project that I was telling you about Raw Pop-Up in Miami was very much art meets nightlife, <laughs> architecture. And in the case of Showfields, what intrigued me about being able to produce art experiences is that art meets retail mm -hmm. so for me it's just like another bridge to a whole other audience and demographic that mm -hmm. necessarily go to the MoMA um, maybe yes maybe not but they're looking for like a different kind of artistic experience that's more democratic yeah and they're bringing it to them they're not coming to you for it so um, the, the House of Showfields was a very innovative, crazy experiment in which we bridged art installations within a retail concept as Showfields. Mm -hmm. and had, um, we had theater, which means that instead of having, you know, uh, staff like you would have at any store, we had actors actually playing characters that mm -hmm. would the story of this woman who was Amelia Showfields and she lived in the house where there was a kitchen, a bedroom, a bathroom, and all of these environments were created by artists mm -hmm. uh, and conceptualized. That was me, by the way. And I will still answer to Amelia Showfields. Like if someone says Amelia in public, I'm like, yes. And I turn around with my like notebook. <laughs> like, an entrepreneur who invests in all the emerging companies around, collects mm -hmm. art. And that was a beautiful character. And people thought it was real. Like people came to the store thought that they were at your house and mm -hmm. your bedroom and for me that's like mind-blowing 
Yeah, no, and it was. And I've never seen people pay attention like that in a retail setting, period, just because it's always so static in one way and a lot of it's always lost on you. So you never, you also never interacted. Like I had worked retail like on the other side of being like staff or a sales member. And then I've also been like an actor and a comedian. So this was like unprecedented in terms of like, it, there was just nothing impeding you and the customers, which was incredible. And like, to your point, like, yeah, people thought I was Amelia Schofield. Like, and yes, that's because of my incredible Academy Award winning acting, which you know, Cam, <laughs> obviously I did a lot of method acting. I got a venture capitalist just for this role. I, <laughs> um, I mean, I took, I got a business degree. Spot all the time. And what? Sorry, you got cut off. What did you say? on the spot all the time. Yes. It was a constant, the, all the, and I think that's what kept, it really is what kept the interactions with people who move through the house organic and like natural, I think too, because no two people are the same. No two tours were the same. You never know what someone's going to ask about the brand or inquire about you and your character. So that is what kind of preserved like the magic of it. Like we created those parameters within the actor that the actors could play within, but you were constantly on. And yeah, I had love letters and we had Amelia notebooks. Amelia had an email address. And they'd be like, Amelia, I want your number. And then me and all the other Amelias would fight. Like, who was he talking about? Was it me? Was it you? Who worked at Tuesday at four? Like, who? <laughs> um, but it was, it was awesome. And then, you know, when they do take to a character like that, in entertainment and in art, it's so hard to get people to pay attention. So when they do take to a character like that, I know myself and the other actors felt like a new levity, a new weight to it. Like, oh, okay, let's make sure we're really like, communicating about the company correctly or making sure these people have a good day and enjoy their time in the house and so on and so forth. So that's my official sure. go now. I have Brittany, I have Butler and I have Amelia. And those are my three personas. For me, like the most interesting thing about it is that we were doing something that nobody had ever done before. Mm -hmm. Like there was so much press to prove it. Um, the fact that, you know, nobody had ever dared to this three completely separate one experience that was you know digestible and available and that people could come through and that was free yeah it was experience mm -hmm. and that they could experience how they wanted they could go as many times as they wanted the brands would get updated in the house it was even like when i worked in music and and i was at columbia records i did strategic marketing so 100 i've always been on board with you about art and music and all these things are supposed to exist with other things we were and i would always see like the deals that fell flat were just like the artist sponsorships like where it was just like oh just get her as the face of sephora or just you know put her in that commercial with verizon it's like nobody gets anything out of that like the consumer doesn't the artist really doesn't the brand doesn't and then you create something like this where people actually get to like see the product in action and it's like, oh, okay. Like, yeah, they're 10 times more likely to make a connection with the brand that way. Yeah. Yeah, I think in anything that has to do with, like, the experience, um, I think one of the keys is, like, creating a situation in which it's intuitive and organic. I mean, I, it's different when if I'm going to, like, sell you a product or if I let you try it. If, yeah. if I let you're making up your own mind. I'm not telling you what to do. Mm -hmm. And people love when it's their idea. People love when thinking that something is their idea, they arrived at it on their own. Yeah. Yeah. And if the product is good, then it's, you know, it did its job. Basically. Yeah. It, sell, it sells itself. That's it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But yeah, that was a super fun project. And I think, uh, you know, talking about what's happening right now, I think what's interesting is that I've basically made a career in the past, I don't know, five, six six years or even more of creating experiences in the physical life. So like, as soon as this, this pandemic happened, it's like, okay, what if there's no physical life, you know? And in my industry, in art, even companies who were like selling art online were never really deemed like super successful because art is something that you most probably to experience in a physical way and that you need to see it to connect it or understand the context around it inside an exhibition to connect to it mm -hmm. or many companies that I, I even work for example a company called paddle eight which did live online auctions for art who went 
bankrupt like six months ago, you know? Oh my God. If this pandemic had happened before, they probably wouldn't have gone bankrupt because the whole industry moved online. Mm-hmm. So what I'm doing right now still with Showfields is that uh, Showfields moved all of its art experience online. Mm. We created a commerce site and we're doing like the very first click to buy live video. So it would be a live video like this. And I'm talking about, for example, that artwork right behind me. And you and thumbnail appears inside the video and you really click to buy it from this live video. As it, looks, it looks like you're auctioning me off right now. Yeah. <laughs> what would be your price? Oh, I don't know. It depends who you ask. <laughs> like, I have to send uh their curriculum vitae. Yeah, their- exactly. Literally. I'm like, listen, fellas, it's okay. We can work out a payment plan. Um, <laughs> no, sorry, but I did see that you were doing that online curations. Um, and yeah. that's, that's incredible. How, I mean, how has that been? Are people incredible because from one side, I can think of it as like, whoa, I'm like going back in my career and going back to like selling to the objects, right. Or mm-hmm. it's that I haven't even seen. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, I think it's amazing how much we've managed to like reinvent ourselves so fast and find a model that works for now. First of all, I get to select who does this live curations every week. And I've gotten the opportunity to call up literally people that I have admired for years, other curators. Like right now, it's like right now I'll try anything basically. So yeah, I'll do your so it's it's amazing to be able to work with an amazing curator every single week mm-hmm. to, to work together each of these curations has at least uh six new artists that i get to meet and select their work mm-hmm. and the most impressive thing is that we've sold a lot of That's art and I, that is because people are at home and i mean the only thing anyone who's able to spend something is to to spend on something that like makes your soul happy you know what i mean either it's a body cream or a 200 worth art piece of art or whatever it is that will make you happy at this point at home if you're working hard and you're lucky enough to have a job and you're like i deserve this something yeah. Yeah. yeah like it's it's like yeah everyone's looking for that kind of that kind of comfort yeah and i'm not i'm I mean, A, because it's you, truly, and B, because of, like, the climate and everything right now, I'm not surprised that it's, like, monetarily so successful, too, because it's, like, even as a comedian, like, yeah, we all had the rug pulled out from under us, too. I had all of my paid income for months, shows just totally canceled, and I was just, like, okay, and, you know, it was scary at first, and I feel like a lot of us moved virtually and digitally out of boredom, kind of, the first week or so, just because it was, like, I guess we'll do this, I guess. Um, my perspective has completely done a 180 and I'm like trying to crack Instagram live, zoom comedy, Facebook comedy, Skype comedy, like you name it because of exactly what you said. Like we have people's undivided attention and I'm hoping like now they're really getting comfort from comedy. They don't have to leave their house. They don't have to put pants on. They can have a drink at home. They don't have to open up a bar tab. They're sad. They're looking for a distraction. It's comedy that comes right to them. Yeah. So it's like, I'm like, if we do this time right as artists and comedians and creators, we can really like change the game for our industries once this is all over. That's what I'm trying to do. I think specifically for comedy. Yeah. I've never seen. I mean, the comedy that is coming out of this quarantine is some of the best I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's a tragic comedy it's like the, the stage is set up for it it totally is and it's like no matter what it is whatever your medium is either like whether it's like a, a stupid dancing tiktok or a character you film on your phone or a zoom comedy show or whatever it's like i just feel like it's like unprecedented like we have on people's undivided attention and it's like something that at least i felt with comedy you know and maybe you felt this way with traditional art comedy always got this rep of like Oh, is it? Oh, I'll be like, come to my show. Oh, is it going to be good? Like, I don't know. People just always, and it's true. There's a lot of really fucking bad comedy out there. There's a lot of people who bullshit into a microphone and call it stand up. So I get it. Um, so it was like the art form always lacked like respect. 
sometimes. And it was like really hard to get people to sacrifice their Saturday night to come and see it. And now it's like, and yeah, like something happens when you have unlimited time and mental space. Like as a comedian, you're like, oh my God, <laughs> like you're going crazy every day in a good way. Yeah. Yeah, there's so much material that comes from like being, you know, locked in with your family and like uncertainty and, you know, going out to the supermarket. Like all of these situations are just, you know, tragic or hilarious or both. I mean, the line is so fine. It's always been, you know, like I, I don't go as much to the supermarket because I send my husband, but yeah. I, <laughs> I sent my mom. My mom, I started going week one and now I'm like, you're on your own. Yeah. It's good for him. So yeah. <laughs> I was, I went once and there was like, the parking lot went like straight into an elevator that went up and it was in the middle, in the beginning of quarantine. Yeah. I'm like, do I touch the bottom? Do I not touch no. the bottom? Like it was before the mask situation, right? So I'm not, I'm not wearing anything. I'm just there with like my Purell. Uh, yeah. And I'm stuck inside the elevator with this woman and we're both looking each other like <laughs> we both be in this elevator together should we not be in the elevator together like it was hilarious we both started cracking up like and i don't given, know everything going on in the world you're like i feel like this could be the end for us like what do we do <laughs> like, yeah. for sure so like it just the whole thing is it's funny so it is and it's all about like commonality and it's like I think this time has forced all of us, like, I think everyone needed a pause, like everyone, you know, like there's an upside to this. Like, I think we all have used this time to like process, yeah. get creative, move past things, start new projects and stuff like that. And it's just like, it is also unprecedented in the fact that like, there, there is not a single person that this has not affected in some way, shape or form. Some people worse oh. than others. Yeah, so it's like, oh my God, we have commonality. We have the whole thing art and comedy is based off of. It's trying to like understand the human experience. So yeah. So I have a question for you. Okay. Why cat catcall? It makes oh, me yeah. walking into like a construction site. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's exactly the vibe I'm going for. That's exactly, yes, yes. I'm gonna have pre premium membership packages where you get little noisemakers and it'll just go, damn girl, look at that ass. <laughs> um, it's, a, it's a good question. I am, so I remembered wanting to, well, catcalling is something women can all relate to, you know, and it's not, it's like the lowest level, most common form of, assault you know it's like you're just trying to have a normal day and walk down the street in new york or wherever you are and you just can't Wait, can i say something about assault because like yeah. i think as a latin woman okay there's a very like mixed situation when it comes to cat calling like mm -hmm. it's a debate okay you know, in america it's definitely more considered assault in latin america it's like a mix between annoying and flattering Italian culture is the same way. Mm -hmm. Italian culture is the same. It's very common. Catcalling is very common and flattering. In oh, yeah. And yeah. it's crazy, yeah. Yeah, so I totally see you. Yeah, no, I... And it was, like, the an easy thing that, like, girls would, like, bond over and, like, bitch about. And then I just kind of wanted to take the power back, which is what we do when we make comedy or art about something and, you know, what we do when we create something positive in the wake of something not not that great and negative. Um, so I wanted to just flip the term on its head and just like own catcall, like, and- I, whenever Yeah, it's, it's like a catcall for all my bitches, basically. And I was in, I, was in um, I, I created it when I was in the music industry and I just felt like we had no outlet for women. Like we had women in music and not to like, and I, they were fine, but I never felt at home there personally. And there were no other organizations that really looked out for women. So this literally started with like me and 25 of my friends in the music industry getting drunk and brainstorming and then hosting roundtables, then hosting happy hours. I changed the name like so much. And then one day I just was like, ooh, catcall, like way to take something we have to deal with every day and just like shove it back in everyone's face. So I love that. Yeah. And like women who get catcalled a little bit of it, that's why I put the heel in the logo. A little bit of it is like, yeah, I'm fucking strong, but also I'm hot. So catcall away. Like also a little bit. It's a little bit. Gotta be both. Gotta be both. For sure. There's many anecdotes like that where it's like I remember in Latin America it being like, 
you just smile and say thank you or you're just like or you can tell someone off like don't do that you know I'm a minor or whatever it is you know yeah yeah and it's like it's you handle it differently I think a lot of times now girls like a lot of this stuff we just overlook too like even in New York like getting on the train and just like it's second nature now like a guy looks at you weird or he's like in your space weird and you just move away and it's like oh yeah feeling unsafe or always kind of being uh it's like us up against society I think a lot of women get get used to it it's like second nature at this point like it's like yeah I cover my drink when I'm at a bar or yeah guys cat call me every time I walk down the street it's annoying sometimes or like yeah I can't tell you how many times I'm on the train and some creepy guy sits next to me and his hands on my leg and I'm like what are you doing or so you know and it's like it shouldn't be the norm but I don't know trying to address it but so I have a question for you yeah tell me okay so when you because I don't you work in the media like I actually learned a ton about art through working with you and I actually have a newfound interest so all your partners I text you all the time I'm like oh my god tax collection so dope and then I'm like Toilet Paper Magazine, that account's incredible. Like, I followed Sarah Shaquille, I think her name is. Like, on Instagram, I saw, like, you and Javi follow her. And I was like, so it's a medium I'm venturing to because of you. So how do you tell a story, like, when you would do these gallery shows? Like, is it you run into these artists and then you see a common theme and build a show off of that? Or do you have an idea for the theme and then curate the artists? Like, how does that work? What's your process? It's a great question. So sometimes I have like a burning desire to say something. Mm-hmm. Um, like, for example, when I did that show about conceived without I was pregnant and I just wanted to, to talk about that and the idea between, um, you know, what, what the situation that I was going through and what my generation would think about it. So I always think in terms of like our generation. Mm-hmm relevant right now and in the future like as you mentioned like everything I do is very like futuristic I try to see patterns in artists work to sort of predict the future and and to see you know like sensitivities about what's happening right now in the world Mm -hmm. so for example um I I think um, I heard a lot, you know, mainly thanks to you and like many friends, like it's very important for a generation. I think there's a little bit of like a spiritual in the sense of like, we don't really connect to our parents' generation and what they taught us about spirituality or religion or what you call it. Mm-hmm. A lot of people like, uh, there's a lot of people who are like thinking about the planets or turning to the horoscope. This is, this is definitely a generational trend. So maybe I'm personally not so interested in the horoscope per se or, you know, planetary, you know, movements, but I'm interested in what our generation thinks about it and what's that going to become in the future. Mm -hmm. Which is a huge differentiation between an an everyday person and a creator and an artist. A creator and an artist is often like concerned with things that maybe don't personally concern them, but they have it. They can still see interest and be curious about it, I think, personally. yeah, like a lot of artists doing work that relates to that, to the mm-hmm. tap or, or to horoscope or to planets or to, you know, in that connection to behavior. I see a lot, of, you know, comedians and artists. And like when I see this movement, I'm like, OK, I want to explore that. So I need to make a show about that. That, that, that yeah. would be And today, for example, I posted a live with an amazing curator. Her name is Sarah Potter. Mm-hmm. And she specializes in the connection between art and magic. And mm-hmm. she's reading, she does card readings, like that's her specialty. And I learned so much about so many artists that are doing uh, in this topic. And honestly, like today we sold more work than ever. Like that's how relevant it is to our generation as a whole. Right? So, mm-hmm. uh, I, you know, another topic that the first thing that I thought when this pandemic started was that every time there's like a big crisis, there's always an art movement that comes right after it. Mm-hmm. It's always been like that throughout history. It's so, society's response, society making sense of something. And because art is really like the emotional pulse of what's happening right now to this generation, right? And I, I, I'm like desperate to document. That's how I feel. 
So I need to, the first thing I did when like this uh, quarantine started was do an open call for art. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to get all the artwork that artists were doing in their studios right now. Artists that are going to find a way to work, even if their studios are closed, even if they're, you know, they can't access their studios or their materials, they're going to figure it out. Comedians will go live on Instagram. I'll get someone to listen to me. <laughs> it's like, yeah. <laughs> but like I'll listen like I, I I right now need to focus on like analyzing what all of this art has in common another one of the curations that I hosted last week through one through another curator called Kat Popova who's the founder of Create Magazine focused on all the art about like interior spaces that is being made at home during quarantine that's awesome like and, people uh, making canvases on their walls and whatever yeah so you, you know, you're stuck at home and you can see that, look at the same wall a million times a day, but there's many different ways that you could look at that wall. Mm-hmm. That's what this whole curation was about. So it just, I just think it has to be very meaningful so that people can connect to it. Yeah, I agree. I think, yeah, like there's a simplicity to these things, right? Like there's like, yeah. And I think sometimes we have a tendency to like overthink art. I know comedy can be overthought to the, to the point where it's killed, you know? So it's like, there's like, yeah, it's like minimal. It's about just spotting trends, keeping things simple. That's so interesting too. And you brought up another point, like, so like to the astrology and tarot thing where you said like, and it is so popular right now. And it's not like you don't necessarily maybe personally have a belief or interest in it, but you're seeing that it's in the conversation and you're seeing people gravitate towards it. Like, why do you think, I feel like popular gets such a bad rep and people think that good art of any kind, comedy or whatever, once it's popular or once it's commercial, or if it's so like universally talked about, it must not actually be that good. The hype must not actually be there. And that's not the case. It means like you're late to the conversation, I think. Like, yeah. 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 So what do you think about, like, I don't know. Cause I feel that way. Like that happens as a comedian, like where it's like, well, don't talk about that on stage. Cause it's hacky. It's talked about a lot. It's like, well, no idea is really fully new. And maybe it's talked about a lot because it's relevant to a lot of people. And what, it, what makes you different is your particular take on it. So I don't know, like, and you, what's your take on that basically? What you just said, I think uh, the most important thing about art is the context. Mm, Out of context or you, you know, if something really popular, you know, within comedy and all of the comedians are talking about it, then you have to find your own. But for example, in, in the context of art, there is no about tarot magic, spiritual, like it, it's not necessarily, uh, it's very early that people are talking about those two together. And I think mm-hmm. I found interesting is that, you know, I spend all of my time researching as a curator, like new artists, new trends, new voices. Um, and I had, and I, it's the earliest that I started seeing those things coming together. Like art is responding to something that happens in society. Mm-hmm. So maybe, maybe in comedy, there's a different rhythm. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I think from my observations, it's like, at least for comedy, it is a little bit of like, it needs to be 50, 50. You're tapping into like universally what people are talking about and what's affecting a lot of people, but then you own it and it becomes yours and you find your voice when you find how it affects you. Like, there's always, like, the premise and the attitude. So the premise is, like, haven't you noticed this thing is happening? Or the premise is horoscopes. Or the premise is tarot. But then the attitude is where the comedian differs and is, like, yeah, I fucking hate it. I don't believe in it. I live by it. Yeah. My mom likes it. Like, that's, yeah. So it's, like, the context, I guess, in the same way, too. 100%. Yeah. And that's so interesting. I just love that, that you're like, it's not something necessarily you're interested in, like, or not that you personally, Tam, don't follow, but, like, that's, I think, the whole point between a normal person and an artist or a curator or a creative is it's like, well, I, I have to figure out a way to make it funny. I have to figure out a way to be interested in this. Yeah. Be objective about it. You have to zoom out. You have to try to, I try to see it as like, what are the voices of this generation saying? 
about this generation. Mm -hmm. And it's because you create art about it doesn't mean you agree. It just means you're trying to reflect it. I really doesn't mean I agree. <laughs> you're like, y'all say some crazy shit. <laughs> I think it's so, it's so cultural as well because... I mean, specifically the horoscope, like as a, <laughs> I'm trying so hard to get Tam to be a horoscope person. And it's like, oh, yes, go on. Yes. <laughs> but it, I think it's funny how, for example, like, I, I would say it's like a general rule, like Latin men would not only not believe in it, but would like get mad about it. It's like, no, that's BS. That can't be, you know, like it's, I think it's hilarious. <laughs> it's like it's okay you know i mean <laughs> you could just like not read your horoscope today tim like it's okay yeah <laughs> get mad because it's like just in case it's real you know yeah <laughs> yeah that's exactly what it is like it's like they hear the horoscope and if it's anything less than good they're like oh that's bullshit why are you reading that crap no yeah <laughs> oh that's so funny. It's like whenever your ex, like, I remember my ex-boyfriend, whenever I would tell him, like, things my therapist was telling me I should do, he'd be like, she's full of shit. I'm like, she also told me to leave you, by the way. So, yeah. Yeah. For you to believe this. Right. Exactly. You're projecting. Um, yeah, that's so interesting for me. It's like, I don't even know when I, I just don't think it is generational. Like, my parents are Catholic. My dad is totally atheist, doesn't follow anything. My mom is catholic enough like she went to catholic school but she's actually probably who got me into all of this like i just think she had a natural like interest in numerology and astrology and then i never p felt pulled towards catholicism and then i had like one too many weird tarot readings where things actually came true and i was like okay i'll take but contradictions are my favorite thing i mean yeah. in latin america it's the same people are like catholic and spiritual but then they're like sexy cross you know yeah. <laughs> even like a ton of things that come from like our our african immigration voodoo ancestry you know so it's like the most fascinating thing these contradictions and how they mix and like people just believe whatever works for them and they totally do yeah i've even done it i've like dealt tarot cards and i pulled a really bad one and i've been like ah that one no we're gonna just set up <laughs> My energy's off. My energy's off. I don't know. <laughs> Pragmatic about it. Yeah. <laughs> but it's true. It's like, yeah, and things aren't, I think like a major difference, at least what I see between my parents' generation and mine is like, they looked at things as very yes or no, it is or it isn't, black or white. There was like a stark contrast. And I think that like, they're just having, I don't know, I feel like our current generation is trying to be like, or it could change, or I could be Catholic and also like tarot, or I could be a devout Christian, but also maybe I'm very sexual and, or whatever, whatever, you know? So it's like, and I just, you know, I know that's a lot. Sometimes a lot of people forget to see that flexibility that you're like, oh, people can change their minds or two things can be true or things aren't always on one side or the other. Actually, most of life is a gray area. Like it's- <laughs> right what'd you say sorry the rules nobody you do you make the rules for your own life and especially now like nothing it like that's how i feel as a creator too like i used to have anxiety going live on my instagram i used to like be precious about things i'm like well once you put it on social media it's there forever i don't know and you know everything i'm like if i don't use this time like like I if something doesn't work and I try it now who cares <laughs> like, it's like the, I could be like oh quarantine I don't know it didn't you know right it's for you can forgive yourself for being who you are at a certain point and like one of the things I really love about you is that you have so many different like facets you have you know your all of your experience in, in PR and corporate office you know that working together you're like the most organized managerial person. You can handle a team of 20, like it's nobody's business. Tell them what to do and be assertive, but be kind. And like, you have that training about you, but you're also a performer and you could be like the most hilarious person on stage. And it's a completely different breed. <laughs> I, I think that's, you know, that's all makes you who you are. Thank you. I appreciate that. That's how I feel like my life was split. <laughs> it was like all those years in PR, 
and the performer wanted to god so desperately like claw out and was like no that's really me um but yeah i have come to appreciate that like the years that i thought i wasted in pr i'm actually like very grateful for now because i'm like oh i actually handle my dealings better than some of my colleagues in comedy or like i'm much more careful with my brand or i know yeah things like so i appreciate you saying that i feel like what we were talking about in the beginning artists and creatives should not be excused from not being able to manage their own finances and careers and practices in general mm -hmm. if you want to treated at the same level as like a founder of a company or you know of a brand an artist like all of these important people in this new economy you have to have those skills other you know like i have i've met artists who are so brilliant and talented but they don't answer emails like sorry i can't work with you mm -hmm. yeah and people like you have the creativity and the skills to manage that creativity are high demand and should be in high demand. And this is what I what I've always been saying, new economy for for creators. But mm -hmm. only creators who are, you know, not not like too good to do the managerial job. Or else, you know, if you're that successful then for sure get a manager. But you can't not answer emails and be a successful artist in 2020. Yeah, and it goes back to that starving artist thing that you said, like, yeah, like, and you can't use that excuse of like, I was just busy, I was in the creative zone, sorry, I didn't get back to you. Like, it's like, life is all about, about balance, you know, and it's, yeah, I also used to say, like, when I worked in music, too, I was like, a lot of my clients wanted to rush to get a publicist, A, and I would have to sometimes tell them, like, you're not ready, it's going to be a waste of your money, whatever, or like, why don't I have a manager? And I. I always was like, there's a beauty in like managing yourself. Like you should have a manager when you truly like cannot keep up with the opportunities that are coming your way, can't keep up with your own schedule. Or even more so when like you're ready and you're at a point in your career as a musician or a comedian that you're like, I've done a lot for myself and I've gotten myself a lot of credits and a lot of opportunities. I now can see value in bringing someone else in. Like, what what can you do for me that I haven't already done across the last three to five years or whatever it is? Because it's like, yeah, I don't know. I just think that there's a beauty to like getting your shit together. Like, I'm like, I think you need to know what it's like to manage your shit and test how much you really value your art. Answer your fucking emails on time. Like, show up to your shows. Don't drop out, like stuff like that, yeah. 100% like being being in the right place at the right time, you know, answering yourself like, I don't know. I think, uh, like you said, unless you have no other choice, you will probably like be missing out early in your career if you don't manage things yourself. Yeah. And it's like, you also learn to, that's a really easy way to learn about any business. Like if you're like, hey, I don't have a publicist right now, but I'm doing this work for myself or I'm signing agreements and contracts for myself or I'm negotiating how much I should be paid as a comedian. Like, yeah, sometimes you oversell it. Sometimes you lowball it and you regret it and everything. But it's like, it's kind of like, in, it's a crash course on like, oh, if you can figure this out for yourself now, once you're actually established and famous, you're going to have a way better understanding of like what that. There's, I do believe in in luck, and I don't believe like there's a lot of people along the way that choose to help you for no reason. Like I remember uh, one of the first projects I ever had. Um, I had I had a friend, and we did a TV show together in which we would go to art studios and sneak into backstages and interview the artists and performers and things like that. And somebody picked it up and said, "I want to do this." uh with students for an undergraduate program and treat them as artists and like you know pretend you're in the reality show and interview them and he said you know how much would you charge it was one of the first projects uh i did as a freelancer and i you know i threw a number and he was like i'm gonna tell you this one because you know he was bringing a client who was paying he said go way up you know like he yeah he helped me understand, you know, who, I, who was I dealing with in terms of a client, you know, like there's people who are, who want to see you succeed. If you're good, they're going to help you. So you I agree. 
Yeah, and it's like, do they see the value in you? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I had that with PR too. I wasn't like charging enough first, and then it was like always go up, negotiate back from there. You can't, you can't like start low and negotiate up, and like also there's something to be said about how much you value your own art if it's like accurately priced too. Like you can really throw a confident number out there, and you're like, no, this is what I'm worth. Like this is, yeah. Except yeah. when you just have to do a lot. Uh, for a little just to learn and you have to be about it but one of the things I I noticed that happens to me a lot like for example with you the fact that you are you are a performer in my show but I also you know see you as a manager and people that someone to collaborate with in a project and I have many artists that I work with in which I have a relationship that is not just like artist curator but mm -hmm. that they have so many other skills that I need or whoever I'm working with needs in order to produce this show or to get this up and running, mm -hmm. that the more interdisciplinary you are, the more valuable you actually are. Mm -hmm. And you, you don't, you know, you can break the rules of, of the relationship you have with someone if you're a creative, if you're on one side or the other. And I think I agree. more and more um, that it, it's becoming more interdisciplinary and more integrated. I agree. Yeah, it's, I've always thought that way as a comedian too. Like I know some people who don't do improv or don't do sketch or don't produce or don't write. Like it's very, and I'm always like, I, I'm not gonna, I, I'll have what I'm stronger at, but I think you have to come as a well-rounded package to people and be able to be like, I can work behind the scenes and direct and produce, or I could be the person on stage. And I understand both sides of it. Yeah. Um, Tam, Instagram's gonna cut us off, so. I know they only give us an hour, but for inviting me, of course. Um, so your socials are up there. Everyone, please follow Tam. She posts and does the coolest shit. So please follow everything that she does. And I hope like Miami lightens their social distancing because we should go get a drink whenever Miami starts to go back to whenever it's safe. We'll go get a drink. I know. Or we'll just sit 10 feet apart with our masks. We can do from the car. Yeah. Yeah, let's do it. And then just poke a hole for the straw and just sip the cocktail. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not going to be in Miami for the song and not see Tam. It's non-negotiable. It makes no sense. Makes no sense. Um, I love you so much. Thank you for coming on. I love you. Mwah.